crowd of them. That's good. That's a good crowd on a Wednesday night. Genesis 47. Genesis 47. You need one over there? There you go. Genesis 47. Continuing here on Joseph and going a few more weeks on things. A um, couple quick announcements that I'll give, and then we will just dive right into the scriptures tonight. I mentioned on Sunday, and I know we got some folks that weren't here Sunday that are back tonight, so I'm going to explain this real quick, and then we're going to go forward with, and then I'll do the last at the end. We're doing a fun thing this year for Christmas at church. Fun. Lots of fun. Fun. That's something that I encourage you, I exhort you to be involved in. That's going to be fun. So... It's a family giving exchange at church this year. Now you say, how in the world is that going to work? If your family wants to participate, all you have to do, it's very simple, all you have to do to start with is just put your name on the line. There. That's all you got to do. We're going to pass this around tonight, and we'll do it one more time on Sunday. So what's going to happen is, after Sunday, I'm going to take all the names on the list, I'm going to break them, I'm going to write them out, throw them into a bucket, I'm going to draw names. And so what's going to happen is so every family that's on here is going to have a family that they need to do something for for Christmas. Now, you can do multitudes of things. You know, you could get someone in our church, maybe they need their lawn mode. They're older and it would just help them. You could take your kids over and go do their yard for them. You could take them out to dinner or have them over to your house. You have to do something for another family. Then another family is going to have you, and so this is going to make it so we get more involved in the lives of one another. It does not have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but just it will be fun because you will get to who knows who you're going to get. There might be a family in the church that you get, you've never even met, and they're the greatest people in all the world. You're going to be so glad that you got to know them because of this. Or it could be, you'll know, never take them out anywhere again. And so you'll learn a lesson, a valuable lesson, either way. So it will be fun. We'll enjoy this together. So if you want to participate and you haven't signed up yet, you say, well, I've changed my mind. You can't change your mind. I see the names on here already. I've already got a picture of it. If you want to add your family name, you just put your family name down, and we'll go from there. And I'm gonna, it will be fun. And the more families that get involved, the better. And so... Don't be as don't don't be don't be a boring Larry as as Lori says for her kids for her kids class and don't participate. We need to participate. Be a have fun with this. And so I know for some of you this is totally outside your comfort zone. Do it, do it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. You never know what could happen, and that will we'll have a good time with that. So if that didn't encourage you to do it. I don't know what's going to. So, but it could be fun if people do it. So we'll have a good time with it. Genesis 47 tonight. We've looked at the life of Joseph, and we've gone through a diff lot of aspects of his life. But tonight I wanna, I'm going to start closing the series up. We've got three more weeks going, and we're going to be done with this by the first of the year. Tonight we're going to look at crisis management. If anybody could teach us about crisis management, it would be Joseph. And we're going to look at things in his life and how things happen. One of the things that I thought about the past in talking about Joseph and his brother and how God used that famine to really change 
Joseph's brothers over time. And there are times in life that God uses hard times to help us. And we need to know how to handle it in the midst of it. You know, let's be honest, the past year and a, did you hear there's a new variant out now? Did you hear they found it in San Francisco? I knew there was a lot of crazy things in San Francisco, so it's no doubt to me they found it in San Francisco. But um, people go off on all these different things, and we've been in crisis management for almost two years, the world has, because of sickness. I don't minimize it because there's many people that have died because of it. It is a serious thing, but there's also a lot of craziness that gets involved politically in other areas. But how do we handle these things? As I read the story of Joseph and I see his life and the way that he lived, I'm convinced that he handled his life very well. And I like to look for myself in my life, and I, I don't get other 36-year-olds and say, I want to be like that 36-year-old, because I am 36. And I, I've not arrived, and I've not gotten near where I want to be. We've been married 15 years. I don't look at others who've been married for 15 years and be like, how can I make it 15? Oh, I've already made it 15 years. I like looking to people who are further along with where I want to be. Or maybe I see them with a trial in their life and how they've handled it in their life and what I can learn from them to help me handle things better in my life. You know, in all reality, we talk about it, and I tease Russ a lot, and I could tease him even more tonight. I got a lot of things I could tease him about. But he's been, he's had his back issues as long as I've been alive. He got October of 85, basically as long as I've been alive. How do you still have a smile on your face when you're constantly in pain? That's why he has all those corny jokes, because that's the only thing that keeps that smile on his face. But I can learn something from Russ on... If I'm, you know, if I'm, if my back's sore one day, I'm a grump. If my foot hurts or something hurts, there's things that we can learn. And so with Joseph, he had so many things get dumped into his life and so many issues and things come up. There's a lot that we can learn from him about crisis and how to handle it. And so it's easy for us as we look at these things to know, you got to realize, not only did he have to deal with everything from his brother's. Let's just think about this. Let's just talk about some of the things in his life. Side room, Anthony, side room, side room. Let's talk about some of the things that went on in his life. Not only all the things that his brothers did to him and all the things that happened in Egypt, but think about, did you know his mother died when he was of a young age? He didn't have his mom. His family was constantly bickering and fighting with one another. It's not the type of home that any of us would want to grow up in. There was jealousy, there was hatred, there was so much just in their family alone. He's betrayed by his own blood, his own brothers. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. He's lied about, he's falsely accused in Egypt. He was imprisoned for no reason. The butler that promised to say something about him forgot for two whole years. He was suddenly promoted to all this power and prominence and responsibility. And we think, wow, look at all this that happened. But guess what? There was a famine. Everybody, now, th just look at this. Pharaoh raised Joseph up. 
But imagine being Joseph and having all the pressure on you to keep an eye on the food. What's being done here? What's being done here? There was a lot of pressure put on him. We don't even look at that side of it. You run a business, run a big city. That's what Joseph did. But in every crisis, everything that Joseph went through, he displayed wisdom and faith. And there's so much that we can learn. And so as we look here tonight in this passage, we want to see how God used Joseph to prevent a nation from descending into starvation and anarchy. And we'll see all the skills that God used here in Joseph. And we're going to look at this tonight. One thing that you'll notice from Genesis 42, verse 1, through chapter 47, verse number 12, is just that passage basically breaks down everything that happened in that time. It's a very short, quick amount, set of parentheses in that. And then we go to chapter 47, verse number 13. The Bible says, And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I'll give you for your cattle if money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for the flocks and for the cattle, the herds, and for the asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. Verse 18. And when the year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land, by us and our land for bread? And we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them, so that the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the border of Egypt even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priest bought he not, for the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh, and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them, which they sold not their lands." Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is seed for you, and ye shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that ye shall give the fifth part unto Pharaoh, and four parts shall be thine own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. And they said, Thou hast saved our lives. Let us find grace in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. 
we would have a cow today in America if this took place. We would. If you go back with me, I want you to see one verse further back, and then we're going to tie all this together tonight and see some things. But Genesis 41, verse 55, might actually come up on the screen. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. What did the people do? What we read tonight, they went to Joseph. They did what he told them to do, and they were saved. As we look at this, what steps did Joseph take to save this nation? He took steps to bring everything in Egypt under the authority of the throne. He took, first of all, and there you got them there in your notes, he took control of their purses. Verse 13 and 14, he took control of all the money in the land of Egypt. All the people were placed on the same level. There was no longer rich people. There were no longer poor people. There were just people. Every dime was brought under the control of the government. Could you imagine what would happen today if that took place? Not going to happen. The revolution would start all over again. Did you know, as I've talked about, that with Joseph, there are many similarities between Joseph and Christ? Did you know Mary, um, Jesus' mom, earthly mom, remember when she wanted him to turn water into wine, and he said, woman, my hour is not yet? What did she say to the servants there? Whatever he tells you to do, do it did Pharaoh tell to do? Whatever Joseph tells you to do, do it. There are a lot of lessons here for the Christian. You know, we look at this one, you say, well, what's the first lesson here? We see that Joseph took control of their money. Who has control of your money tonight? The Lord should. He should. It belongs to him. It's his. We should strive to give everything to him. He owns it. It's his. Think about that one right there. Joseph took control of their money. We should let the Lord take control of our money. You might be amazed what you could do with your money if you let the Lord take control of it. The thought. Second thing, Joseph took control of their possessions. When the money ran out, what did he do? The people traded their livestock for food. They traded their possessions for food. Everything that they possessed, all their possessions, the government owned. The car, you know, let's think about us today. The government says, all right. Now, this was Joseph. I trust Joseph much more than the Joseph we have in office today, but we'll leave that one alone. We don't have to go any further with that. But um, I need all your money, and now I'll trade you food for your car and all your valuable possessions. That's what was taking place in Egypt at this time. 
That's pretty crazy when you think about it. Everything they possessed came under the control of the throne. Let's think about this one. No, no, we're still back on this last one. So Joseph took control of their possessions. Does Jesus have control of your possessions tonight? Is your house his? Is your car his? We run into a lot of problems in our lives because we think it's ours. He owns it all. He gave you the abilities you have. And there's some valuable lessons right here to be learned. We would do very well in our lives if we got to the point where everything we have should be dedicated to the glory of God. Your television set should be dedicated to the glory of God. It would be amazing what would be watched on that television if that was the case. If your body was God's possession, it might be amazing what things you wouldn't do. But Pharaoh said, hey, Egypt, whatever Joseph tells you to do, do it. Mary told those servants, hey, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. Lots of similarities. Joseph, we see here, he took control of their money, took control of their possessions. Next, look away, he took control of their property. The people literally, they had exhausted their possessions. They were out of everything. They gave their land to Joseph. He had everything. And again, it would do us very well just to realize that everything that we have comes from God. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It would do us a lot of good if we could realize that tonight. And then, look at what else he took control of. Joseph took control of their persons. When the money ran out, when their possessions ran out, their property was all gone, they were willing to give of themselves to serve Pharaoh so that they could have food. Have you given the Lord control? I think that's what we've been talking about on, when, on Sunday nights in the book of Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? And look at this verse, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Joseph took control of everything in Egypt. He also took control of this next thing. He took control of their positions. Verse 21 of our text here says, And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt, even to the other end thereof. He moved them around. Think about that. They worked, what they did. But it would do us a lot of good to remember that we should let the Lord have control of our lives. And just as those people look to Joseph, we have a Heavenly Father and we have a God to look to. Church, one of the things that is very sad today in Christianity in 2021 is the fact that we don't give God anything. 
30% of our church tithe, 30%. 45 to 50 give nothing. Nothing. What does that say? Everything is more important than God. Think on that just a little bit. That's a sad state for our church. And I'm not saying for you as individuals, I'm saying as a church. Because this is a body. Remember we've been talking about that on Sunday nights? So it's like part of the body is trying to do what needs to be done, and then part of the body is like, no. One part of the body is giving, and one part of the body is keeping their hand in their pocket. We need to give to God. He owns it all. And it will do us all, and we need to be teaching our children that. God owns everything. Man, hey, Pharaoh got 20%. Did you read that here? God doesn't even ask for that. Think on that one there for a little bit. Say, Pastor, I thought we were going to talk about crisis management. We are. We're getting there. Just hold on a second. If I told you we were going to talk about all that first, you wouldn't have came tonight. So we have to get all that out. Then we'll get to the other. So we're covering both tonight. But as we look here tonight, as we look at all these different things, and we see that Joseph also took control of their production. At the end of the famine, everything in Egypt was under the control of the throne. Joseph was owner of everything. And he graciously gave the people seed to sow on the land. He allowed them to keep 80% of everything. Everything they produced was subject to a 20% tax. And Joseph did this to help keep things running during this time. And church, God doesn't want 10% from you. And God doesn't want 20%. He wants you. That's what he wants. And we'll put it this way. It's what he deserves. Okay, let me, let me reword that. He deserves far better than that. But that's the best we can give. And the best we can give doesn't even come close. But we still should be giving the best we can give. We'll leave that there. As we look at this tonight... And as we look at uh, some thoughts, that was all introduction. An introduction normally is short for me, but introduction was the longest part of the sermon tonight. Got four points left, and we'll be done here in a few minutes. But as we look here, in Joseph's dealings with all the people, I see a few principles that will help us as we deal with hard times in our lives. And we can't pass over these things. you got to understand, these principles will help. When you come to Jesus in your life, I'm going to give you four things tonight that I want you to keep in your mind. This paper you have tonight, keep this paper, keep it close by, and remember these things as we look at them. Number one tonight, we talk about crisis or crises. Crises or crises are no respecter of persons. I looked how to spell it too. That is the plural of crisis, crises. I don't know. <laughs> Am I wrong on that? Ryan's a language guy. What's the right way, sir? That's, which wh- which way's right? What is that? Crises. Okay, good. I thought so. So, but crises—they're no respect persons. What the f- when the famine came to Egypt, it didn't just come to the poor, it didn't just come to the rich, it came to everyone in that city. Even the royalty were affected by it. You see, in the same as, that's how it is in our life. Everything that happens, every person in this world is going to be affected by crises every once in a while. You're going to have 
hard times. And sometimes you have multiple hard times back to back. And sometimes you have a nice little break, but that's what life is. Job 14.1, what did Job say? Man is born of a woman, is of, full day, is of a few days, and full of trouble. That is life right there, okay? Job 5.7, Bible says, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. That's what life is. Jesus talked about in John 16, 33, these things that I've spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world. In this world we live, ye shall have tribulation. You're going to have tough times. There's going to be inflation every once in a while. There's going to be famines. There's going to be all sorts of things that happen. And God knows and God's in control of all things. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And as we look at life, and in my life, it just seems like we move from one crisis to the next. And of course, that's just how we each have that. It comes and it goes and it happens to every one of us in this room. And this life is a life filled with moments of crisis. There are good moments, there are great moments, and then there are just some bad moments in life. I think that that's how Solomon saw life. The Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. And then verse 22 and 23 of the same chapter, For what hath man of all his labors, and all the vexation of his heart? Wherewith hath he labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrow, and his travail grief, yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. And sometimes that's how I look at life, too. It's like, what's the point? But one thing we see about crises is there are no respecter of persons. Everybody has them and has them at different times. Number two, crises cause us to rethink our purposes. one of the things I think that was a blessing of COVID. I think some of us got to rethink what's really important to us. And maybe some of you still need to do that. When the crisis came in Egypt, the people were told one thing to do. Whatever Joseph tells you to do, you do that. That's not just nice to Pharaoh. He could just sit back and he didn't even have to worry about it. Everyone else took care of it and Joseph took care of it from him. From that moment on, the people had one purpose. They had one duty. They were to obey Joseph and do what he told them to do. And sometimes, church, it takes a crisis in our lives to remind us of our purpose in life. The problem is in life, and as we go through life, we lose focus in life. Or we get focused on the things that don't truly matter overall. And so we find ourselves doing things the Lord doesn't want us to do, going places that he doesn't want us to go, and, some, and being someone the Lord doesn't want us to be at times in our lives. And if we're saved, what is our duty before the Lord? Fear God, commandments, that's the whole duty of man. That, that's all you got to do. Our duty is just to fear God and keep his commandments. That's our purpose. That should be what we strive to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what it comes down to. That's our purpose. And so you think about it, that's our purpose before the Lord. We are to be who he wants us to be. We need to be 
we need to go where he wants us to go. We need to do what he would have us do. And our primary duty is to do what he wants us to do. And there's nothing like a crisis or a hard time for us to rethink, am I living and doing the purpose that God's called me to do? One of the things that this has done for me, and you're going to see in a few weeks, the purpose of our church, what is the purpose of the church? Are we fulfilling the purpose that God has for us? We're going to be talking about that at the beginning of the year. Because, let's be honest, we're not. In a lot of areas, we are not fulfilling the purpose of why we're here. I'll ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud. Just keep it to yourself. If we are fulfilling our purpose, our, one of our purposes is to evangelize the lost. When's the last time you witnessed to someone? Don't say it out loud. Just think in your head. And that's why we're not doing our purpose. When's the last time? When's the last time you edified someone else and built them up? Maybe that's what that Christmas gift's all about. Crises cause us to rethink our purposes. Why do we do what we do? Why are you here? What's your purpose in being here? Why are you here? Last year when we didn't have church for a few weeks there, and we had why do we meet? Why do we witness? Why do we give? And what happened right after we started coming back, it was amazing. People were super faithful. How's your faithfulness today compared to what it was in May? Just something to think about. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on Wednesday night. So only the people here on Wednesday nights truly love God, right? Isn't that something that people say? Do you want to get to the end of your days and say, I wish I did it differently? I wish I did this for God? Why don't you not have to say that and just start doing what you're supposed to do now and not wait till later? But crises, they cause us to rethink our purpose. And that's a good thing for us. Some questions when you're going through a crisis in your life or other things, some questions. What am I doing? That's a good question. What does God want me to do? Am I being responsible and obedient to him? It's a good question to ask. Number three, crises cause us to reevaluate our priorities. When the crisis came to Egypt, suddenly he didn't matter. Possessions didn't What money if there's no food? What good is land and power and stuff when you're starving to death? It really doesn't matter, right? These people want to survive, and you think about it, they knew their possessions would get them through. They needed, you think about help that they could only get from Joseph. And as people go through life, they sometimes get so focused and we get our priorities out of whack. And sometimes the famines of life, the crises of life come to help us reevaluate what's important. You know, think about it. So many people today 
put their jobs ahead of their family. So I got to provide for my family. You've got one family. I need the overtime. Maybe you need that time with your kids. Your job's not more important than your family, but you do need a job. You do need to work. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That's what the Bible says. How about people who put their recreation above their marriage? Their hobbies over their marriage. That's a wrong priority. Nothing should be more important. Under God, nothing should be more important than your marriage. Nothing. Sometimes crises in our lives cause us to reevaluate and realize this hobby is not worth what my spouse is. This job is not worth losing my kids over. How about people who put their plans ahead of God's plans? God's ways are the best ways. How about when we live to satisfy ourselves and our flesh and do what we want and we have no regard for what God wants us to do? You see, crises have a way of causing us to reevaluate our priorities and see what's really important. You see, when a crisis comes, you're reminded of how valuable your relationship with your spouse is. You need one another. And your spouse is way more important than some hobby you might have. When the crisis comes, you're reminded of how important family is. You can have your job and sit there and have it all to yourself and lose your family. I'd much rather have my family. When crisis comes, you're reminded of how valuable your church family is. When a crisis comes, you're reminded of just how important your relationship with the Lord is. Hey, why wait for a crisis to come into your life? Reevaluate your priorities today and get them right before the Lord. And then number four, and lastly, crises cause us to reestablish our principles. You'll notice that all the land in Egypt came under the authority of the throne except for the land that belonged to the priests in verse 22. The priests were cares for, they were cared for by Pharaoh and their needs were met by the decree of the king. And as we look at that, we see that even in the crisis there, there were some things that did not change. When we're thrown into a crisis moment, we'll learn what's truly sacred to us. We'll find out what we can't live without. We'll discover the many things we love and cling to so tightly are just fluff. You know, and that we're talking, your, that car, that was a nice car. A lot of money went into that car. But how much more valuable are you and Josiah and Samantha being okay? A car can be replaced. They can't. And sometimes hard times help us in those areas see those things. What are things you would not be willing to give up under any circumstances? What is it that you won't sell? A crisis will reveal that in your life. You'll hold on to things that truly matter. You see, the crises of life, or the crises of life, do not make us, but they do have the power to reveal what we're made of and what's important to us.
Bible tells us in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, Therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which builded his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Two houses, both look the same. The storm came to both houses. When the floods came, it revealed what the houses were standing on. When the tough times come, storms of life come, it reveals where you're at. If you build your life on the shifting sands of this world, your life's going to be a mess when you go through the crisis of life or the crises of life. But if you're is built on the firm rock of Jesus Christ, you might get beat down, you'll get worn out, but your house will not be. You see, that's what's important. How did Joseph handle all that he did in his life? You know what we see over with him? The Lord was with Joseph. How could Joseph handle all that he did? His brothers, they kind of caved when they were in prison for three days, right? Three days. Even all this other stuff. Three days. What's the difference? There was one young man that went through the storms of life on the rock of Christ. There were some others that were not on the rock. See, when life comes and the hard times come, can you say tonight, maybe your life is good tonight. Maybe you're in a rough spot. Are your purposes, are your priorities, are your principles in line with him tonight? Or is there some adjusting that needs to be done? When I study the life of Joseph, I know that I'm reminded that we never get a free pass. There's going to be tough times no matter what. And sometimes they build up right after one after another, and sometimes there's a break in between. But I find out the way that you make it through is by the Lord. We need Him. Do you need Him to bring you a crisis to get you closer to Him, or could you learn that lesson? the crisis coming most of the time we need the crisis because we just don't get it let's reevaluate some things let's put God where he belongs let's let him be in control hey if Joseph got to run all of Egypt and all the people listen to him how about you let Jesus run your life you know how much happier you could be if you just let Jesus run you'd be a lot happier set your priorities straight we're too busy, our society today is all about me and how I feel. About others, it needs to be about what the Lord has for you. How does what I do make Jesus feel? That's a great And so we just see a young man 
getting older in the scriptures here, I see a man who held up under pressure. And the only way you're going to hold up under pressure is by doing what the Lord tells you to do. If you hear what he has to say and you don't do it, the storms are going to beat you down and your house is going to fall. But if you hear what he says and you do it, it might get a little bad, but your house will stand. The difference is not just hearing, it's doing.